if I can do no more, let my name stand among those who are willing to bear ridicule and reproach for the truth's sake, and so earn some right to rejoice when the victory is won. Our author of the week, Louisa May Alcott, wrote that in her letter to the American Women's Suffrage Association in October 1885 in support of women's voting rights. The irony inherent in its relevance to ideological struggles erupting everywhere in the world these days, that's just icing on the cake. Hi there, you're with me, Iser, on Folksy, the Storytime podcast. Welcome back to the second season where we explored the best and most bewitching short story spinners of the 19th century. Miss Alcott is someone whose name you cannot have escaped if you ever stepped foot in a school library. The classic tale of girls growing into adulthood in the aptly titled Little Women is an excellent read for all ages really. However, it was the firebrand activist I found submerged beneath the layered authorial excellence that truly drew me in. Today's story selection was picked from Miss Alcott's 1863 compilation, Hospital Sketches. Let's read. Hospital Sketches, Chapter 1 Obtaining Supplies by Louisa May Alcott I want something to do. This remark being addressed to the world in general, no one in particular felt it their duty to reply, so I repeated it to the smaller world about me, received the following suggestions, and settled the matter by answering my own inquiry, as people are apt to do when very much in earnest. Write a book, quotes the author of my being. Don't know enough, sir. First live, then write. Try teaching again, suggested my mother. No, thank you, ma'am. Ten years of that is enough. Take a husband like my Darby and fulfill your mission, said Sister Joan, home on a visit. Can't afford expensive luxuries, Miss Kubidi. Turn actress and immortalize your name, said Sister Vashti, striking an attitude. I won't. Go nurse the soldiers, said my young brother Tom, panting for the tented field. I will. So far, very good. Here was the will. Now for the way. At first sight, not a foot of it appeared. But that didn't matter, for the periwinkles are a hopeful race. Their crest is an anchor with three cockadoodles crowing atop. They all wear rose-colored spectacles and are lineal descendants of the inventor of aerial architecture. An hour's conversation on the subject set the whole family in a blaze of enthusiasm. A model hospital was erected and each member had accepted an honorable post therein. The paternal P was chaplain, the maternal P was matron, and all the youthful P's filled the pod of futurity with achievements whose brilliancy eclipsed the glories of the present and the past. Arriving at this satisfactory conclusion, the meeting adjourned, and the fact that Miss Tribulation was available as army nurse went abroad on the wings of the wind. In a few days, a townswoman heard of my desire, approved of it, and brought about an interview with one of the sisterhood which I wished to join, who was at home on a furlough, and able and willing to satisfy all inquiries. 
a morning chat with Miss General S. We hear no end of Mrs. Generals. Why not a miss? Produced three results. I felt that I could do the work, was offered a place and accepted it, promising not to desert, but stand ready to march on Washington at an hour's notice. A few days were necessary for the letter containing my request and recommendation to reach headquarters, and another containing my commission to return. Therefore, no time was to be lost, and heartily thanking my pair of friends, I tore home through the December slush as if the rebels were after me. And like many other recruit, burst in upon my family with announcement, I've enlisted! An impressive silence followed. Tom, the irrepressible, broke it with a slap on the shoulder and the graceful compliment, Old Trib, you're a Trump. Thank you, then I'll take something, which I did in the shape of dinner, reeling off my news at the rate of three dozen words to a mouthful. And as everyone else talked equally fast and all together, the scene was most inspiring. As boys going to sea immediately become nautical in speech, walk as if they already had their sea legs on, and shiver their timbers on all possible occasions, so I turned military at once, called my dinner my rations, saluted all newcomers, and ordered a dress parade that very afternoon. Having reviewed every rag I possessed, I detailed some for picket duty while airing over the fence, some to the sanitary influences of the washtub, others to mount guard in the trunk, while the weak and wounded went to the work basket hospital to be made ready for active service again. To this squad I devoted myself for a week, but all was done and I had time to get powerfully impatient before the letter came. It did arrive, however, and brought a disappointment along with its goodwill and friendliness, for it told me that the place in the armory hospital that I supposed I was to take was already filled. And a much less desirable one at Hurley Burley House was offered instead. <laughs> That's just your luck, Trib. I'll tote your trunk up Garrett for you again. For of course you won't go, Tom remarked with the disdainful pity which small boys affect when they get into their teens. I was wavering in my secret soul. But that settled the matter, and I crushed him on the spot with martial brevity. It is now one. I shall march at six. I have a confused recollection of spending the afternoon in pervading the house like an executive whirlwind, with my family swarming after me, all working, talking, prophesying, and lamenting, while I packed my go-already possessions, tumbled the rest into two big boxes, danced on the lids till they shut, and gave them in charge with the direction, if I never come back, make a bonfire out of them. Then I choked down a cup of tea, generously salted instead of sugared by some agitated relative, shouldered my knapsack, it was only a traveling bag, but do let me preserve the unities, hugged my family three times all round without a vestige of unmanly emotion, till a certain dear old lady broke down upon my neck with a despairing sort of wail, Oh, my dear, my dear, how can I let you go? I'll stay if you say so, mother. But I don't. Go, and the Lord will take care of you. 
much of the Roman matron's courage had gone into the Yankee matron's composition. And in spite of her tears, she would have sent 10 sons to the war had she possessed them as freely as she sent one daughter, smiling and flapping on the doorstep till I vanished, though the eyes that followed me were very dim and the handkerchief she waved was very wet. My transit from the gables to the village depot was a funny mixture of good wishes and goodbyes, mud puddles and shopping. A December twilight is not the most cheering time to enter upon a somewhat perilous enterprise, and but for the presence of Vashti and neighbor Thorn, I fear that I might have added a drop of the briny to the native moisture of the town I left behind. Though I'd no thought of giving out. Oh, bless you, no. When the engine screeched, here we are, I clutched my escort in a fervent embrace and skipped into the car with as blithe a farewell as if going on a bridal tour, though I believe brides don't usually wear cavernous black bonnets and fuzzy brown coats with a hairbrush, a pair of rubbers, two books, and a bag of gingerbread distorting the pockets of the same. I wonder if a pair of rubbers means what I think it means. Moving on. If I thought that anyone would believe it, I'd boldly state that I slept from C to B, which would simplify matters immensely. But as I knew they wouldn't, I'll confess that the head under the funereal coal hod fermented with all manner of high thoughts and heroic purposes. To do or die, perhaps both. And the heart under the fuzzy brown coat felt very tender with the memory of the dear old lady, probably sobbing over her army socks and the loss of her topsy-turvy trib. At this juncture, I took the veil, and what I did behind it is nobody's business. But I maintain that the soldier who cries when his mother says goodbye is the boy to fight best and die bravest when the time comes, or go back to her better than he went. Till nine o'clock, I trotted about the city streets, doing these last errands which no woman would ever go to heaven without attempting, if she could. Then I went to my usual refuge and, fully intending to keep awake as a sort of vigil appropriate for the occasion, fell fast asleep and dreamed propitious dreams till my rosy-faced cousin waked me with a kiss. A bright day smiled upon my enterprise, and at ten, I reported myself to my general, received last instructions and no end of the sympathetic encouragement which women give in look, touch and tone more effectually than in words. The next step was to get a free pass to Washington, for I had no desire to waste my substance on railroad companies when the boys needed even a spinster's might. A friend of mine had procured such a pass and I was bent on doing likewise, though I had to face the president of the railroad to accomplish it. I'm a bashful individual, though I can't get anyone to believe it, so it cost me a great effort to poke about the Worcester depot till the right door appeared, then walk into a room containing several gentlemen and blunder out my request in a high state of stammer and blush. Nothing could have been more courteous than this dreaded president, but it was evident that I had made myself as absurd a demand as if I had asked for the nose of his respectable face. He referred me to the governor at the state house, and I backed out, leaving him no doubt to regret that such mild maniacs were left at large. Here was a Sila and Cheribidus business, 
as if a president wasn't trying enough, without the governor of Massachusetts and the hub of the hub piled on top of that. I never can do it, thought I. Tom will hoot at you if you don't, whispered the inconvenient little voice that is always goading people to the performance of disagreeable duties and always appeals to the most effective agent to produce the proper result. The idea of allowing any boy that ever wore a felt basin and a shoddy jacket with a microscopic tail to crow over me was preposterous. So giving myself a mental slap for such faint-heartedness, I streamed away across the common, wondering if I ought to say your honor or simply sir, and deciding upon the latter, fortified myself with recollections of an evening in a charming green library where I beheld the governor placidly consuming oysters and laughing as if Massachusetts was a myth and he had no heavier burden on his shoulders than his host's handsome hands. Like an energetic fly in a very large cobweb, I struggled through the state house, getting into all the wrong rooms and none of the right, till I turned desperate and went into one, resolving not to come out till I'd made somebody hear and answer me. I suspect that of all the wrong places I had blundered into, this was the most so. But I didn't care, and though the apartment was full of soldiers, surgeons, starers and spittoons, I cornered a perfectly incapable person and proceeded to pump for information with the following result. Was the governor anywhere near about? No, he wasn't. Could he tell me where to look? No, he couldn't. Did he know anything about free passes? No, he didn't. Was there anyone there of whom I could inquire? Not a person. Did he know of any place where information could be obtained? Not a place. Could he throw the smallest gleam of light upon the matter in any way? Not a ray. I am naturally irascible, and if I could have shaken this negative gentleman vigorously, the relief would have been immense. The prejudices of society forbidding this mode of redress, I merely glowered at him, and before my wrath found vent in words, my general appeared, having seen me from an opposite window, and come to know what I was about. At her command, the languid gentleman woke up and troubled himself to remember that major or sergeant or something Mackay knew all about the tickets, and his office was in Milk Street. I perked up instanter, and then, as if the exertion was too much for him, what did this animated wet blanket do but add, I think McKay may have left Milk Street now, and I don't know where he has gone. Never mind, the newcomers will know where he has moved to, my dear, so don't be discouraged, and if you don't succeed, come to me and we will see what to do next, said my general. I blessed her in a fervent manner and a cool hall, fluttered round the corner and bore down upon Milk Street, bent on discovering Mackay if such a being was to be found. He wasn't. And the ignorance of the neighborhood was really pitiable. Nobody knew anything, and after tumbling over bundles of leather, bumping against big boxes, being nearly annihilated by descending bales and sworn at by aggravated truckmen, I finally elicited the advice to look for Mackay in Haymarket Square. Who my informant was, I've really forgotten, for having hailed several busy gentlemen, some one of them fabricated this delusive quietus for the perturbed spirit who instantly departed to the sequestered locality he named. If I had been in search of the Kohinoor diamond, I should have been as likely to find it there as any vestige of Mackay.
I stared at signs, inquired in shops, invaded an eating house, visited the recruiting tent in the middle of the square, made myself a nuisance generally and accumulated mud enough to retard another Nile. All in vain. And I mournfully turned my face towards the generals, feeling that I should be forced to enrich the railroad company after all. When suddenly, I beheld that admirable young man, brother-in-law Darby Kubiri, Esquire. I arrested him with a burst of news and wants and woes, which caused his manly countenance to lose its usual repose. Oh, my dear boy, I'm going to Washington at five, and I can't find the free ticket man, and there won't be time to see Joan, and I'm so tired and cross I don't know what to do, and will you help me, like a cherub as you are? Oh yes, of course, I know a fellow who will set us right, responded Darby, mildly excited and darting into some kind of an office, held counsel with an invisible angel who sent him out radiant. All serene, I've got him. I'll see you through the business and then get Joan from the dove court in time to see you off. Now, I'm a woman's rights woman, and if any man had offered help in the morning, I should have condescendingly refused it, sure that I could do everything as well, if not better, myself. My strong-mindedness had rather abated since then, and I was now quite ready to be a timid trembler if necessary. Dear me, how easily Darby did it all. He just asked one question, received an answer, tucked me under his arm, and in ten minutes, I stood in the presence of Mackay the Desired. Now my troubles are over, thought I, and as usual, was direfully mistaken. You will have to get a pass from Dr. H in Temple Place before I can give you a pass, madam, answered Mackay, as blandly as if he wasn't carrying desolation to my soul. Oh, indeed. Why didn't he send me to Dorchester Heights, India War, for Bunker Hill Monument and be done with it? Here I was, after a morning's tramp, down in some place about Dock Square, and was told to step to Temple Place. Nor was that all. He might as well have asked me to catch a hummingbird, toast a salamander, or call on the man in the moon, as find a doctor at home at the busiest hour of the day. It was a blow. But weariness had extinguished enthusiasm and resignation clothed me as a garment. I sent Darby for Joan and doggedly paddled off, feeling that mud was my native element and quite sure that the evening papers would announce the appearance of the wandering Jew in feminine habiliments. Is Dr. H in? No, mum, he ain't. Of course he wasn't. I knew that before I asked and, considering it all in the light of a hollow mockery, added, When will he probably return? If the damsel had said ten tonight, I should have felt a grim satisfaction in the fulfillment of my own dark prophecy. But she said, At two, mum. And I felt it a personal insult. I'll call then. Tell him my business is important with which mysteriously delivered message I departed, hoping that I left her consumed with curiosity, for mud rendered me an object of interest. By way of resting myself, I crossed the common for the third time, bespoke the carriage, got some lunch, packed my purchases, smoothed my plumage, and was back again as the clock struck two. The doctor hadn't come yet, and I was morally certain that he would not, 
till having waited till the last minute i was driven to buy a ticket and 5 minutes after the irrevocable deed was done he would be at my service with all manner of helpful documents and directions everything goes by contradictions with me so having made up my mind to be disappointed of course i wasn't for presently in walked dr h and no sooner had he heard my errand and glanced at my credentials than he said with the most engaging readiness i will give you the order with pleasure madam words cannot express how soothing and delightful it was to find at last somebody who could do what i wanted without sending me from dan to beersheba for a dozen other bodies to do something else first peace descended like oil upon the ruffled waters of my being as i sat listening to the busy scratch of his pen and when he turned about giving me not only the order but a paper of directions wherewith to smooth away all difficulties between boston and washington i felt as did poor christian when the evangelist gave him the scroll on the safe side of the slough of despond i have no doubt many dismal nurses have inflicted themselves upon the worthy gentleman since then but i am sure none have been more kindly helped or are more grateful than tp for that short interview added another to the many pleasant associations that already surround his name feeling myself no longer a martha struggles but a comfortable young woman with plain sailing before her and the worst of the voyage well over i once more presented myself to the valuable mckay the order was read and certain printed papers necessary to be filled out were given a young gentleman no i prefer to say boy with a scornful emphasis upon the word as the only means of revenge now left me this boy instead of doing his duty with the diligence so charming in the young loitered and lounged in a manner which proved his education to have been sadly neglected in the how doth the little busy bee direction he stared at me gaped out of the window ate peanuts and gossiped with his neighbors boys like himself and all penned in a row like colts at a cattle show i don't imagine he knew the anguish he was inflicting for it was nearly 3 the train left at 5 and i had my ticket to get my dinner to eat my blessed sister to see and the depot to reach if i didn't die of apoplexy meanwhile patience certainly had her perfect work that day and i hope she enjoyed the job more than i did having waited some 20 minutes it pleased this reprehensible boy to make various marks and blots on my documents toss them to a venerable creature of 16 who delivered them to me with such paternal directions that it only needed a pat on the head and an encouraging now run home to your ma little girl and mind the crossings my dear to make the illusion quite perfect why i was sent to a steamboat office for car tickets is not for me to say though i went as meekly as i should have gone to the probate court if sent a fat easy gentleman gave me several bits of paper with coupons attached with a warning not to separate them which instantly inspired me with a yearning to pluck them apart and see what came of it but remembering through what fear and tribulation i had obtained them i curbed satan's promptings and clutching my prize as if it were my pass to the elysian fields i hurried home dinner was rapidly consumed joan enlightened comforted and kissed 
the dearest of apple-faced cousins hugged, the kindest of apple-faced cousins' fathers subjected to the same process, and I mounted the ambulance, baggage wagon, or anything you please but hack, and drove away. Too tired to feel excited, sorry, or glad. And that was today's tale. So, one thing I'd like to mention before I give my comments. This volume, Hospital Sketches, is more a collection of anecdotes that fit together than a short story collection. They were initially published as a freestanding yet connected series of sketches in a Boston newspaper called The Commonwealth. I'm guessing the owners hadn't gotten notice of the American exodus yet. So let's talk about the story then. I was initially going to read from another collection from Miss Alcott because like I said at the start, uh, this volume is a collection of anecdotes that are kind of connected. They do work really well as short fiction, though I'm not sure how much of this was based on Miss Alcott's real life experiences because she definitely was involved in the American Civil War as well as in the uh, American women's suffragette movement. One of the things I really enjoyed uh, was uh, Miss Alcott's style of rhyming uh, two halves of a sentence together, or at the very least the last words. It gave a very rhythmic quality to the progression and really uh, piqued my interest in places where I felt it was going to kind of uh, waver because of the slow pace. I mean, this is a story from over 150 years ago now, so a little pacing uh, difference is to be expected. But still, that's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, the language use, the command over language that Miss Alcott definitely has uh, demonstrated through this volume. It just makes up for any such uh, slowing down and keeps your interest in the story. And speaking about the story itself, this is a very interesting glimpse into the lives of America uh, and American people during the American Civil War. I mean, if you've heard or seen the film or read the book Gone with the Wind, uh, you'll have a more rich person's uh, view of the civil war more like a slave owning rich person's view of the civil war this story is technically uh, if we take all the hints together from massachusetts which is in the northeastern region of uh, america and that would definitely have been the region that fought against the south so this is kind of the direct diametric opposite of gone with the wind except in a very short form and it kind of makes me want to go back and read the rest of the stories too just to find out what happened because there was definitely progression, there was definitely uh, loss and gain and all manner of human emotion, human interaction, good dialogue delivery. It, it was just a good story and historical at the same time, so informative as well. What did you think about the story though? Is there something you agree with me about or was I totally off the mark? Also, how are you liking this new second season? Let's get a conversation going. As always, this text is available for you to read, review and enjoy for free on gutenberg.org. That's G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G dot O-R-G. That's it for today guys. I'll end today's episode with another uber inspiring quote from Miss Alcott. Far away in the sunshine are my highest aspirations. I may not reach them, but I can look up and see their beauty, believe in them, and try to follow where they lead. See you next week with a tale from a true blue American country boy. Till then, varvel, mein friend.